Today on the Priority Queue, we chat with Richard Ziva about the Ruru Project. To quote the Ruru Project's GitHub page, Ruru is a TCP latency monitoring application that helps understanding wide area TCP traffic in real time. It utilizes Intel DPDK for high-speed packet processing, up to 40 gigabits per second, and a Node.js web front end to present results. End quote. Richard, welcome to the Priority Queue. And if you would, just uh, introduce yourself briefly to the audience. Ethan, uh, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I'm very glad that I can uh, share some details about my project. Uh, normally, in my day-to-day life, I'm a PhD student, still uh, trying to finish uh, this year, but I've been working with different network providers over the co- uh, last couple of years, um, and one of these network providers were uh, RIANS, the New Zealand uh, uh, Research and Education Network Provider, and, and this whole project, Ruru, came uh, while I was there with them. Yeah. So, what what is Ruru? It's like a it's a it's a bird or an animal or something, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bird. It's an owl, actually. It's a native New Zealand owl uh, that we we used to name this project. There are a lot of projects named after animals in New Zealand, and we tried to select one that was not used before, and Ruru came uh, through this uh, uh, selection. Okay, so I read the um, the from GitHub that summary of what Ruru is all about. Uh, but from your point of view, would you explain in a nutshell what the what the project is? Yes, basically, it's it's a software project. Uh, every component of of Ruru is basically a software, and it's designed to analyze TCP flows and visualize them in um, using open source technologies such as DPDK, the Node.js front end that you mentioned, and and the whole idea is to to give some type of new insights into networks uh, for network providers in a very kind of cost-efficient um, open-source way. So we utilize a lot of open-source techniques and, and put together this, this tool chain of Ruru that basically is a latency monitoring uh, application. Okay, so some people might listen to that and go, okay, well, there are tools out there that do that sort of thing. So why do you think this project is particularly important? Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of monitoring tools and... Uh, the, the reason of, of Ruru being um, our tool is that it's specifically designed for latency and specifically designed for end-user experience. So what we measure is, is actual user-perceived latency. That means that the, the, the time that we measure and, and we call latency is from the TCP session's initiation at the source until uh, the buildup of the TCP session at the destination. So that, of course, includes uh, the access network, the, the whole network provider's part, and also, let's say, if it goes to data center, the data center's network, if, if the user is connecting to a, to, to a Google um, virtual machine, let's say. So that's one of, the most, that one of the most important part is that we are trying to gather individual user-perceived performance. And another thing is that Comparing with other monitoring tools, for example, just collecting SNMP port counters or NetFlow, we do not deal with aggregated data. These, uh, because they cannot provide insights into traffic dynamics over short time scales, so they cannot cannot tell you uh, details on flow level micro congestion or sudden latency changes, and that's what Ruru is trying to tackle. Okay, so you're but you're pulling that in. It, correct me if I'm wrong. The main thing that you're grabbing, or the main metric that you're measuring on is the TCP setup. So it's really that three-way handshake, uh, yes. SYN, SYNAC, ACK, and when that's all been measured, that's your that's your, uh, your metric that you're putting into the database, yeah? Exactly, that's it. It's a SYN, SYNAC, and the first ACK. 
and those three, yeah, uh, and the time elapsed between the, those three packets. So, and adding those timestamps together is basically as we call end-to-end latency, and that has a part which is kind of internal in your network. In case you deploy Ruben in the edge of the network, you will have kind of an internal part of the latency, and you will have also an external part. We collect these also separately, so you can see latency that happened inside of your network and latency that was uh, collected basically outside of your network. Well, okay. Actually, how, how do you do that? Because when I was looking through the project and some of the screenshots, the, the, the visualization shows regional endpoints that are talking to one another, and then there's, there's color codes that are overlaying the line to show you latency, but the data yeah. doesn't appear to me to be hop-savvy. It's just, you know, one IP to one IP. So, so how are you gathering insights about, you know, hops or how much latency is in your particular segment, et cetera? Uh, that's, that's the, yeah, you got it right. We don't know this. So we don't know the physical um, um, kind of path that the, the traffic has taken. We only know the source and the destination where they are. And we only know uh, latency measurement between, uh, between them. So it's, it's kind of speculation. If we want to go in, why, uh, why do these uh, connections are red? Because we don't know actually what's happening um, in the network. But still, just having a geographical visualization of these latencies, we can still have some insights. For example, um, if you start seeing a lot of red lines to a certain geographical location, you can start uh, digging deeper in the network and uh, identify the root cause of this. It could be in your network, it can be in a transit network, and it could be even in the access network, for example, in a university, if the Wi-Fi behaves poorly, all the latencies will be increased, and you will still see that on the map. So, I, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, you can make uh, you can basically you can make inferences uh, with an understanding yeah. of how network uh, should behave. You're aggregating a bunch of different endpoint data together. You can make some inferences about where issues might be uh, mm-hmm. because of the points of commonality that are likely to be along the way. Yeah. Mm, okay. Now, uh, Ruru runs, as I understand it now, as a standalone node. I well, I didn't dig this deep to be honest, but I think I could run one at home, and if I fed it the right data, it could look at uh, all these TCP setups I have off of my local internet connection right here at my home office. Um, so that data is is locally significant. But so, but would there be a way if there's you know, Ruru nodes scattered around the world that you would aggregate all that data and get some kind of global insights? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's that's what I also do. I, I run Ruru in my office, so you can either mirror some traffic if you have an SDN switch or a router that can mirror a port, uh, or you can also put Ruru like as a man in the middle type of scenario where you forward all the packets to Ruru and then Ruru runs as a, as a forwarding device, and then on a different port it just spits out all the packets. But right now Ruru is designed to be as a standalone box. Uh, looking at traffic that arrives um, on one DPDK port to that box. So in order to in order to get some kind of global insights, the idea would be to merge all the measurements from the InfluxDB database, where we have all the geographical locations, all the flows with geographical locations and the latency measurements. And once we have access to more of these, we can gather essentially um, insights for a whole larger setup than just have one flow or one particular link. But, but again, nothing that we're doing today, but that's something no. that m- maybe could be done. Yeah, exactly. Right okay. now, it's, 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 it's only for one single box deployment. 
Okay. Um, I noticed when going through the site and reading about the project, IP geolocation metadata. You're gathering that via IP2Location.com. Can, can you talk about that resource, what, IP2Location.com, what it's all about and, uh, and how you leverage it? Yeah, so uh, the reason why, why I, I selected IP2Location is, is because uh, they were free. Um, there are a lot of free databases. Uh, free means that they have all the IP addresses that they know in the database, but you do not get... Uh, street level geographical location, but let's say city level. So it's not that accurate if it's free, but they have a lot of databases that are offline. And uh, so basically we load them in into uh, SQL database and we query the IP addresses from that database. And then these databases actually updated every day. So the new if the geographical location has changed, then um, we will update it in an, in an offline manner getting the database from IP to location and then loading it into an SQL database again. And also, it's not just geographical location. I need to add it's uh, the ASN numbers are also through IP to location. So for each IP, we know which AS uh, it belongs to. And also, it's a proxy database where for each IP, we can identify if it belongs to a Tor exit node, a VPN we're a data center host. And I think that's a, that's a new uh, database, but we just started to uh, use the, uh, that database too. And that gives really good insights into latency. Yeah, ASN is a big is a big help because now you can start pinning things down to provide a provider backbones and, uh, and make yeah. some inferences there. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Uh, okay, so I want to I dig under the hood uh, a little bit more deeply. Um, and here's... Uh, Here's a question about the architecture. Now, the architecture diagram for Ruru, it shows a network tap that sends a feed off to a specific server for analysis. So is that, I mean, do I have to replicate the architecture that way? Or uh, could I run Ruru like on any bare metal box running DPDK, feed it a packet stream, and uh, and, and uh, you'll get some value out of the package in that way? Or, or you know, is there like, I, I've got to have this specific NIC or this specific CPU architecture in my box to be able to get the processing capacity that I need for Ruru to work right? It's pretty general, I would say. So in case you have an already a DPDK-ready uh, interface card, for example, an Intel uh, server interface card, for example, an X520 or an X710, uh, it's pretty easy to put... Um, in operation because that's the only requirement that that we have right now uh, is basically the DPDK NIC. Um, for CPU, I would say more cores are better. If someone would ask me, I would suggest an eight-core CPU with at least two point eight gigahertz uh, clock speed, and that gives you basically eight uh, processing threads with eight cores. Of course, you can maybe let's say leave out two for um, for the system itself and one for some statistical collections, and then six cores, for example, for, for processing. And that itself should be enough to, to reach 40 gigabit per sec with uh, average packet sizes. And, and, okay, that's the big deal. The multi-core gives you the, uh, the analytical capability to go up to 40 gigabits per second. So if I've got a much smaller box, like I'm, I'm thinking I've got an older box at home, it's a Xeon with uh, you know, three gigahertz with four cores, yeah. I just wouldn't be able to handle, let's assume that the NIC is DPDK capable. I actually don't know if it is or not, but let's say mm-hmm. it is. Uh, I could process something less, some less amount, lesser amount of traffic because it's a lesser capable box. Yeah, yeah. It will still work. It will, we just not that real time if we could say it this way. Uh, because 
what essentially DPDK do, does, it, it runs your CPU cores in 100% and it's, it's basically fetching all the packets as fast as it can. So if it's, let's say, an older CPU, um, it will just do the same thing slower. And yep. Yep. the only, only problem that we can, we can reach in this uh, scenario is that your, packet, your, your, your network interface starts dropping packets because it, you're not processing fast enough. But even with, with, with that four-core Xeon, uh, you should be able to handle at least 30 uh, gigabit per sec um, with let's say if, if, if you take an average packet size of 500 bytes. And of, of course, this is, this is the challenge. So smaller packets take more time to uh, process. So in case your traffic is only uh, with 64 bytes of, um, of packets, then the maximum will be around 30 gigabit per sec with a, with a decent machine. Because so it's, it's a packets per second limitation as opposed to... Um, yes. You know the size of the packet because you're not actually looking at the whole packet. You're looking at a TCP header. Yes, yes, yes I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I also noticed that the that RU was written in C. Uh, C. Why C is a choice and not a higher level language? Well, DPDK was written in C, so the whole um, the, all, all of the APIs are in C. So it just made sense to to write the DPDK part in C. And then there is an analytics part which does the geolocation, and I wrote it in C because uh, multi-threading and performance reasons. The only thing it does it, it does um, lookups into an SQL database. So it just made sense for me if the first part, the DPTK packet processing, was in C, to have the the second part of the pipeline written in C that could work in the same um, on the same uh, zero MQ sockets and just do the geographical. A look up as fast as as it's probably possible. So because of performance reasons, in short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And, and, and if you tried to run it as um, you could have written in Python, let's say, but you would have yeah. given up a lot of the performance because it's just not the code that is underneath that higher level Python language abstraction. You're just not going to end up with code that's as efficient. And uh, writing it in C gives you that efficiency. Exactly. And actually, in the first time when uh, when I started writing this, uh, some parts were in Python. But they didn't work. So, for example, the lookup, uh, the lookup for the geolocations for each IP, and that basically means two IPs per flow. We have to do uh, a lookup in an SQL database, or you can even go online. But that just doesn't scale. Mm. The first was actually to use an online uh, geographical lookup, the first, first, first prototype, and of course that failed after fifty lookups per second because then it, it went to an online service with, uh, and then came back with the results and you know every, everything it was basically just adjusted to to handle the scale then throughout this project. Hmm. Let's dig into scaling a bit more then. Uh, the code is multi-threaded. You talked about that uh, running it across you know six or eight cores. Yeah. So but can I only scale I mean does it only run on one box where I got to get throw a bigger CPU with more cores at it for it to uh, to scale? Or can I distribute processing load theoretically? Could I distribute processing load across multiple servers and scale out that way? That's actually a really interesting uh, problem because if you think about it, each TCP flow has to be directed to the same CPU, basically the same server, and then same CPU core because we have a, a small timestamp cache which is local to the CPU cores, or basically the processes that run on, on specific CPU cores. So we'll have to see the SYN, the SYNAC, and the first ACK at the same place. So in case, for example, uh, you put two servers next to each other and uh, there is 
40 gigabit per sec link arriving to an edge router, and then you forward two 20 gigabit per sec links to the to these two servers, you'll have to be sure that the SYNs and the SYNX and the first X for each flow are arriving to the same host. So this, this is actually a problem that we had in New Zealand, if I can say this is a problem, because in New Zealand, there are two links that go outside the country. One goes to Los Angeles and one goes to Sydney. So there was traffic that we've seen to go out in Los Angeles, but never seen coming back through Los Angeles because the traffic was then directed somehow through Sydney. And then in Ruru, we had to handle this uh, case by, which, which essentially meant filling up these timestamp um, uh, caches uh, with scenes where the CINAC has never arrived, if you see what I mean. Mm. So that's, that's, that's the issue, when, that's a challenge when, um, when you would like to uh, scale out. We did, that's actually a challenge inside the host. So inside the host, when, when you have one port and you would like to do multi-threaded processing, you need to make sure that from the port, the packets um, that belong to the same flow are put to the same core. And that's, that's what I did with a technology called receiver side scaling, which applies a hash on all the packets that will make sure that, for example, they are evenly distributed between cores, all the packets that arrive, and also that the same flows go always to the same core. And it's especially interesting when you, when you think about the, the packets that come back from the destination to source, they also have to go to the same core. You need to always make sure that they end up in the same place because the cache that stores the timestamps is, is basically localized to that one CPU core. <sighs> oh, so depending on right, depending on where different chunks of the data show up, you won't be able to do the measurement because the timestamp will be in a different box. If uh, it, exactly, it, yeah, okay, I get it. Exactly, and but there is always a way to solve it. So uh, one could synchronize these timestamps or just store the timestamps in a database and then do the measurement. So do the actual latency calculation in an offline manner or some or l- later in the pipeline. But uh, essentially, what we really wanted to do is an immediate draw of these uh, of these calculations. So not to do anything offline, do everything as fast as we can online in real traffic. So right now, for example, someone uh, starts a new uh, connection, for example, opens a browser, goes to facebook.com. We immediately can show the, the latency after the, the connection built up. So it's, it's kind of the trade-off, right? So... Mm. All right, we talked about using the three-way handshake as the, the main measurement, the metric here that we're de- using to determine latency between endpoints. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we look down the road here, could, could Ruru be used to analyze other sorts of interpacket gaps and discover something, some other metrics that might be interesting? Yeah, uh, actually right now it's just simply, as you said, the TCP handshake. But I was thinking about the extending it uh, by looking at um, the TCP resets and see how long the, the connections last. So that would be also a nice thing to visualize. Also, one could measure the size of the flows, uh, looking at the sum of all the, the, the size of all the packets in the flow and basically visualize accordingly. Uh, for example, by using thicker lines for elephant flows and uh, so on. Interarrival is also something uh, that would be possible to look at and that would be also really nice to visualize because then interarrival could be then visualized with dashed lines or and packets could be visualized like 
as standalone packets. So I think there are a lot of uh, open ideas. Yeah, I mean, if you start analyzing some of those other things, like like the length of time the TCP socket is open, you, it yeah. seems like you'd have an explosion in the database. There'd be so many more records, things that you're trying to keep track of. Yeah, that's exactly why I haven't started doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so Richard, in in um, the networking world and in the world of uh, analytics, has become very hot. And taking it beyond statistical analysis, a lot of the vendors have begun applying machine learning algorithms to data sets to see what to see what's there to see what they could figure out. Is there something interesting for Ruru there where you could throw ML at the data sets that you're gathering and find something interesting, maybe? Yeah, definitely. So basically, when we started Ruru, there was kind of two directions of how to interpret all this data. One was what everyone. knows is basically the map, uh, which shows the lines and then you look at it and that's it. But since we're doing, we're recording everything in an influx DB database, you could do offline analysis. Uh, and I've been trying to do that before, but it, uh, to be honest, it failed because um, I tell you why. So what, the reason it failed, it was because the geographical location was not accurate enough. So, it was reporting data far from you, but still giving you a latency that was, let's say, 30 millisecond. So definitely a server replied and, and built up the connection much uh, closer to the, to the source than it was reported. And there were tons of these issues, for example, because of CDNs, data center hosts. And right now, this problem has been mitigated. I wouldn't say it's solved because what I mentioned you, uh, IP to location uh, the provider for the geographical uh, data now has a, a proxy database, which we use to to see if the IP address belongs to an open proxy, a VPN, uh, a web proxy, a Tor exit node, or such things. So we can we can filter these out and know the data uh, can show some type of um, trends over time. For example, uh, when collecting for an hour, simply a provider can see what their users experienced. Uh, in terms of latency for a certain geographical location, for example, North America, or by country level, or by AS level, which is which is very important. For example, connections to Amazon, connections to Google or, or Facebook. So I think there is there is a there is a lot of potential in in the offline analysis, and I, I think it, it it became better now with with the filtering of these not too accurate geographical lookups. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, earlier in the show, you mentioned InfluxDB, and I did a little homework on that. That's a time series database, um, and InfluxDB is your is your data repository. That's where all your records are going. So can you explain what a time series database is and why that specific sort of database architecture was important to Ruru? Well, comparing with, with uh, relational databases, in InfluxDB, there is no such thing as relational uh, data. So... There are topics where metrics can be collected, and they're collected in a um, in a linear way, uh, basically one after other, and then they are stored and indexed, you know, in, in a way that's good for um, oh, how to say. This? Well, if it, 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 as I recall, it's it's you can store lots and lots of records and look them up very quickly. Um, you know, in a relational database, the query structure is quite quite different and more potentially more intricate. So the efficiency just isn't there. You can't pull records out of the databases quickly. At least at a high level, that was one of the things that stuck out to me. Am I, uh, am I close? Yeah, that's, that's right. But um, 
for example, an InfluxDB in a time series database, you cannot pull an individual record easily because this is not how um, it was indexed. So for example, in, uh, in Ruru, you cannot search easily on a particular geographical location to another geographical location because uh, that means that the database has to go through all of the records and find it uh, in a very kind of slow way. So what you can do is, for example, to get statistics uh, aggregated for for a one-minute interval, for a one-hour interval, and, and such things. So it's just a different way of retrieving the data. Not everything is is, is possible in, in a time series database. But that database is optimized for statistics that are following on a timeline. That's the sort of database structure that makes more sense to gather t- uh, statistics from lots of records that are created that way. And I'm assuming you would have millions upon millions of records gathered very quickly using Ruru. Yeah, yeah. There, there are gigabytes of actually maybe like 20, 30, 40 gigabytes of data already collected in, during the last six months in one of the deployments. So, And that's just pure time series data. Mm. So it's just two geographical locations with the latency measurement. So yes, there's a lot of data collected and um, we're already kind of pushing the limit also of, of InfluxDB sometimes. Mm. Well, let's talk about the front end for a minute. Um, the, the the presentation layer. Now that, as I read, Node.js is built with React and Deck.gi. These are not things I am very familiar with. So as an end user of Ruru, I mean, it's mentioned in the project as a significant thing. So is there any special reason that I, as an end user, I'm going to appreciate the, those choices? Well, you probably will never see what the application is built of, but actually what React and Dag.g provides is, is a full 3D map that you can zoom, rotate, tilt as you wish. So, And it does it um, in a 30 frames per sec refresh rate. So you basically see the whole interface as a movie, I would say. If we start animation of your, or in your browser, you will see this as a movie. Uh, it's, it's smooth and it's 3D. So it's, it's a very nice, I would say, mind-blowing experience if um, when you look at Ruru and, and all, the, all the latency measurements in a real time, lines start to appear and then and, and disappear. And just to add, React and DAGGL is used at uh, different projects. Uh, for example, at Uber, uh, to visualize cars on streets. And also, you probably heard a few days ago, Strava um, has visualized all their users running activity on a very similar map. Mm. That's, uh, that's also a um, similar uh, tool chain that they used. So it's really for high-performance visualization in 3D, and that's why we chose these technologies. And again, just for clarity, that's happening in a browser. I don't have to be sitting on the Ruru server directly connected with a monitor to run that visualization. I'm running that remotely. Yes, exactly. So there is a Node.js application that runs on a server, but the whole front-end runs in the user's browser, and then there's a WebSocket connection between the browser and the back-end where all the data that has to be visualized is coming is coming um, instantly. So it's it's a live connection between your browser and the server, but then everything runs in your browser. So the limitations are also basically that the performance of the UI depends on your machine. So if you have a recent MacBook or a recent laptop, it won't be a problem. But we had, for example, uh, an older machine with an old Chromium that did not support WebGL well, that was uh, struggling with uh, to keep up with the with the number of lines and the, and the whole three D model. I, I I've got to try this. I've got 
the, listeners, I, the screenshots of Rue are really compelling. When you look at them and see exactly the, it's it's uh, one of the views is a map of the globe showing lines going between different geographic regions around the globe, and it's very intuitive immediately the communication or what is being communicated to you. And, uh, and I, I've got to figure out if my server that's sitting in my lab rack right now supports DPDK and uh, and get this thing fired up and see if I can make it go. This was, um, yes, yeah, this I, would be fun. Yes. Yes. Then the only thing you need is a lot of traffic, and that's where it becomes really, really nice. Because, mm. for example, I have a deployment here in my office, and it's only only my desktop's machine, and only thing I do is uh, sometimes I check these few lines. But it's quite interesting, for example, you open a website and all the all the ads that are in the website are opening tcp sockets so one website basically results in 10 15 different lines and you can see that they go to different parts of the world and then you can start digging of oh what happened you know this ad is hosted on a swedish server so that's why i see a line to sweden blah 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 so it's interesting I, I've got a house full of uh, you know, teenagers with phones and laptops and workstations and IoT devices, and uh, uh, let alone all my own gear. So I'm okay. I've got lots That's, of nodes internally. That yeah, would be that uh, really be interesting. Nice. That would be pretty nice. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, okay. So I've been asking nerdy questions about rural architecture and some of the under the hood stuff. Is there is there anything else cool about the architecture that uh, I uh, maybe you want to talk about and I didn't know enough to ask? I think we covered covered the most important parts. So it's, it's basically everything that we talked about is, is what, what Ruru is. Uh, the, it's, it's, it's a packet processing in DPDK. It's a geographical mapping and this, this uh, 3D map that we just, we just talked about. So not in particular. Okay, so let's look to the future then. Um, who, who's working on the project today? Is it just you? Do you have a team? Well, unfortunately, it's just me right now. Of course, it would be very good um, to have other contribution from from developers uh, there are people who are currently trying to deploy Ruru I can say that um, they're not actively contributing to the source code but at least there are deployments uh, and also there are kind of interest for, for future work that probably I'll have to do but uh, we'll see how it goes because um, for me right now it's, it's more of a, a hobby so mm. I'm not doing this full time at the moment, so it, it takes time to implement a small feature that that people want to see. But because when I go conferences, to conferences, people just come over and say, "Oh, it would be so cool to see UDP traffic." Uh, yes, but um, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it would be, but that's a whole different thing at that point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you mentioned that it would be nice if some other developers maybe wanted to contribute to the source code. How could they do that? Everything about Ruru is open source, so uh, we have whole code on GitHub uh, under Rian's um, uh, GitHub profile. Yeah, Rian's is, a, that's R-E-A-N-N-Z, um, that, that under that GitHub hierarchy. Yeah. 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 Slash Ruru. And yep. it also already has 60 GitHub stars, so it's, uh, I would say it's pretty popular on the GitHub too. There are a lot of followers, but uh, so far I, I didn't get uh, any pull requests, um, and I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What about uh, what about non-developer folks? Is there a role that they could play? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I think Ruru is kind of two different things, if I could say. So we could use it for some type of network monitoring, looking at latency, looking at um, off- looking at the offline data and see how latency changes over time. But also at the same time, Ruru is really great, easy to deploy tool to show your network's reach 
and visualize your activity on your network. So for example, from a non-DAV perspective, if you, for example, looking to impress your customers as a network operator, I can guarantee you would have success with Ruru because of just the power of visualization and to deploy it in the edge of the network or even just at the office network and to show visitors or how your network behaves and where your users connect. It's, it's also a very strong point of Ruru. And I'm certain that there will be uh, use cases in the future that will just deploy Ruru for these purposes, more of an eye candy. Hmm. Uh, do you have a, a formal roadmap for the project? I mean, we talked earlier about some of the things that Ruru maybe could do with different visualizations, um, uh, you know, tra- uh, tracking flows so you could visualize an elephant flow with a thicker line, these kinds of things. Are those formal things that are on the roadmap and, and, or just ideas? And, uh, and, and if not, what, what are specific roadmap items you have in mind? Those are mainly just ideas. I have one specific roadmap, uh, one specific item on the roadmap is basically an IPv6 uh, six support to be added. So back then when uh, I first started doing this, uh, there wasn't an IPv6 geographical location uh, database from IP to location at least. So right now the code in the very beginning, it uh, basically skips all the IPv6 addresses because we couldn't geographically map them. But no, uh, there, there is this database exists. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but at least there is something. I just uh, have to uh, modify the code in order to handle IPv6. And there was also a request from, um, uh, from other um, developers to, to do this in order to compare IPv4 with IPv6 uh, latencies to the same geographical locations. And I, I think that would be interesting to see what... Uh, and that's why it's it's on the roadmap. I would like to do this uh, in the next couple of weeks and uh, and have it and push on GitHub. Yeah, uh, that would be interesting. Although, just thinking out loud, part of the transactional latency might be even more interesting. Which I, I that'd probably be outside the scope. But you know where the DNS lookup comes in, and then you know oh, yeah. doing that yeah, that first initial uh, server hit of IPv6 versus IPv4 I know that can factor into things but but also yeah sure just IPv4 versus IPv6 because of who's carrying what in uh, which AS and how that traffic gets routed from my understanding is that can be different it's definitely not uh, you can't assume that those traffic paths are going to be the same uh, necessarily well, actually I know that you're mentioning uh, DNS uh, uh, in the right meeting uh, I presented this work. Uh, there were a lot of interest in deploying this for UDP traffic and looking at especially DNS uh, lookups and responses and, and to visualize them mm. uh, just to see, for example, where how, where do these um, uh, DNS requests go and where do they get resolved and how long does it take uh, for DNS requests to get resolved. Uh, that's also a future work, but right now it's not on the roadmap for me uh, due to other commitments. But who knows? Maybe in the future. Yeah, it is an interesting problem. It's it's, uh, both the data analysis, what is actually being asked for, but then how you would actually do that because it's a state tracking problem where TCP would make it fairly straightforward to track that state. You don't have that state within UDP. So you got to build the database structure out differently. Yeah, interesting. And then visualization also changes because there's no such thing as latency, I would say, for for UDP traffic. Or it's very hard to kind of make up the similar visualization that we have right now between a source and the dust, a line. So for UDP, I would imagine something that kind of just kind of small bubbles that that um, that we that we show on the map, mm-hmm. see where do where do they go. 
Well, plus, it could be. Uh, it would have to be application specific, maybe too. In other words, not all UDP is transactional at all. A lot of it's just streaming, so there's nothing yeah. there. But mm-hmm. DNS has got right a particular uh, pattern in the protocol that you could uh, build some reasonable expectations on of what the packet exchange is going to look like. Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, Richard, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a number of things, and uh, now I'm fueled even more. I have no excuse. I got if this server of mine that's sitting in this rack supports DPD cache, I should really try it. Try this out. It's brand new. I just put Ubuntu on it, bare metal, and uh, and should should give it a shot. Uh, and hopefully, DPDK support is there for me. Now, are you uh, a social where maybe you want people to follow you on Twitter, or you have a blog you'd like to uh, promote, something like that? Well, uh, yes, I'm on Twitter, and I'm happy for new followers, if not spam. Um, so my Twitter handle is at uh, C-Z-I-V-A-R. But also, you can find me over na- uh, with my name, Richard Siva. Um, yeah, and I'm also on GitHub, of course, LinkedIn, and all these. That's great. And uh, if you dig around uh, on Google and search for the Ruru Project and TCP, you will yeah. find hits on the RIPE presentation you did, Richard. There's a PDF that's out there from RIPE75, the GitHub project under uh, Rian, uh, N-Z, R-E-A-N-N-Z slash Ruru under GitHub. And yeah. then, uh, of course, you've got a homepage at, um, at the Glasgow uh, University site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These okay. are all up to date. So I'm Pretty sure if you Google Ruru now, you will find everything about the project. Yeah, yeah, that's how I did a lot of my homework. It came came right up on the front page. So uh, looks like yeah. all the all the landing pages are working good. Well, thank you again, Richard, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue today. You can find this and many more of our fine, absolutely free technical podcasts, along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We are also on LinkedIn if you'd like to follow us there. Uh, We put our stuff through Facebook, if that's your preference. And if you would take a minute, rate us on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate that. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.